Hi, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Defy Normal. At the height of the 2020 election, there was a lot of coverage about suburban white women in the Midwest and how they were going to show up at the polls differently during the November 2020 election. The New York Times podcast, The Daily, released an episode titled, Why Suburban White Women Changed Their Minds. During this episode, the interviewer reported on suburban white women who were mobilizing for Biden in the Cleveland suburb, Shaker Heights. After an unsatisfactory run with President Trump, some are voting Democrat for the first time. One of the guests shared that she has a hard time sharing her opposing views in her mostly conservative community. The New York Times released an article titled, Please Like Me, Trump Beg. For many women, it's way too late. A quote from the article states, In 2016, it was their surprising support for Trump that helped push him over the edge. Although the suburbs leaned more Democrat than they did in the 2016 election, the final exit poll results show that 55% of white women still voted for Trump in the 2020 election. I was on the Upper East Side on election night, watching it all unfold. Everyone in the room wanted a Biden win, along with most of my coworkers and friends. And in full transparency, I was with a group of white women. After living in New York for almost five years, I'm in a liberal bubble. I know women who the Times is speaking about in those articles. They live in my very own hometown. When I expressed that sentiment, many of my friends said they don't personally know anyone like these women. So I thought, let's hear an explanation from a conservative millennial white woman from the suburbs to gain some context around why she always votes conservative and her thoughts on President Trump. Although Katie and I have completely opposing views, I think this is an important conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Define Normal podcast. Today, we have Katie Foley. She's speaking with us about being a millennial conservative. To kick it off, I'd love for Katie to introduce herself and share a little bit about where she's from and what she does. My name's Katie Foley. I currently live in Zionsville, Indiana, and it's about 20 minutes north east of the city. So I'm from originally from Dayton, Ohio. So that's how me and Shelby know each other. I run internal communications for a renewable energy and infrastructure company. Been in PR and communications for my entire career. And recently through this pandemic, I decided to shift gears. And so now I do all internal comms. Really love it. A little bit more about me. I married. I've been married to my husband for four years. We have a dog. Family is everything. And when I say family, I specifically mean my immediate family. That's a little bit about me. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. You identify as millennial conservative. What does that mean to you? Yeah. And I want to preface, and I've said this before, you know, I've really never talked about this issue and I've never really come out and took a stance on what I believe and why I believe, you know, when you come out for one side, you're automatically going to be judged immediately. And that's just natural human perception, right? You're automatically going to give labels to someone else who doesn't believe what you believe. And I hate that because I think, and I'll get more into it. It's just so important to listen. And that's why I'm so appreciative of this platform. And I really did take some time to pray. I'm like, okay. I mean, I texted you right away. And then I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Ooh, this could really, because I know people will listen. I know, I know when people see my name or if they follow you, and of course I'll share this and people will be like, I want to hear what she has to say. And so it's nerve wracking. I think it's important to talk about. So values, when I think of values, I think of Christian conservative fundamental values that kind of just relate to my life. The first one being love, you know, in first John, the Lord talks about We love because he first loved us. And I think that's so important. That's one of the biggest commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. The second one is hope. And that's not saying that bad things aren't going to happen, but it's knowing that 
God is always with us. The third thing is respect. So God created everyone in his own image. The fourth is grace. So even though we screw up all the time and life is messy, we're all imperfect and we all deserve grace. And I think another one is service. So my dad always tells me to live with your palms up. And so that means having a servant's heart instead of a selfish heart. Um, and I think you see throughout the Bible, you know, Christ has always served. And he, he, you know, he was the first one to wash his disciples' feet. And I will say that, you know, a lot of who I am is a Christian conservative. Those are my values and what I base everything off of. And what's ironic is that a lot, a lot of times people want to claim their values for themselves. And we automatically want to selfishly determine, you know, what's right and wrong. And as Christians, you know, we don't decide that. God tells us and shares his truth through what the Bible says, through his word. And so if we're left to our own devices, how can we truly say if something is right or wrong? And it kind of leans into then there's a moral law to which states this is evil and this is good. And because there's there's a moral law, there's a moral lawgiver. For me, that's God. And so if there's no moral law, then how can we say some of the things that President Trump has said is evil? You know, that's kind of what I go back to is there's good and evil. Do you think the current administration reflects those values? So seeing Trump on his way out, but like throughout the presidency, mm -hmm. think that that aligns with yeah. the values, if at all? I think this is so important to understand. And I think a lot of times people just automatically assume that I'm going to say, yes, he represents my values. And as a Christian conservative, I support ideas and not the individual. And so the things that he stands for and supports do personally align with my values, right? Keeping God first. And I can't deny that. You know, he does support conservative values. And so think of the Supreme Court, marriage, abortion. He supports the values that align with what I believe. And so again, I support ideas and not people. I think if we switched the question around, when we look at the individual and his choices, I mean, read his Twitter, right? Like we can see he's he doesn't always say the right things. Right. What I can say is when an individual supports my values as a conservative and a Christian, that's what I can get behind. I was talking with my brother this week and he said something so funny and I was like, that's so true. You know, if an apple said, this is what I believe and their conservative values, I'd vote for an apple. We put value on people or like people who possess power. We put our hope in them, right? Like some people literally will like die for Trump. He He's the greatest thing ever. Or think of like pastors. We put them up on this pedestal. That's why I try not to look at the individual because we are all so imperfect. Again, look at what President Trump says on Twitter. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's so irrational. It's not biblical. I mean, I can say that it's not biblical, but I might not support the president in some of his decisions, but I support the policies. I could give, yes, he's done a good job and then no, he's not. And so it's, but that's what I put. But overall, so. he captures the values that you have in mind. So you're saying that yes. as an individual, maybe he doesn't always hit the mark, but he captures overall the policies and ideals that you have based on your background. How do mm -hmm. you think outside of the Christian conservative views? So if you look at like larger communities, like me being a person of color, more specifically a black person, mm -hmm. us both being women, mm -hmm. looking at immigrants, looking at our LGBTQ community, 
Do you think this administration served those people? And does that matter to you? When I think of conservative policies serving the greater good, I kind of go back to we believe our policies are focused on principles for everyone. And so we don't want policies just for one group because no one wants to be discriminated. It's if you focus on one group, you're going to hurt another. And so I believe conservative policies are about the whole and collective. And so when you have too many policies focused on individuals, it's not necessarily a good thing. I believe organized policies should be followed. It's not necessarily about discriminating against immigration, but it's about doing it legally. I talked to my dad this week and he was talking about, you know, general capitalism. So we have the freedom to pursue dreams and wishes under capitalism. Big companies like Amazon, how they blossomed. But the real question is, you know, are they being generous with their success? Then it then it can fall into greed and self-service. And everyone's not the same. I mean, think about in the Bible, the talents that, you know, one of the parables, the talents that were given, some people buried them, some people used them. And so we all bring something different to the table, but I do believe that there should be rules in place. That doesn't mean that a group of people should be discriminated against or harmed. Christ didn't say to stone, um, but he said not to cast a stone. And so that also doesn't mean that he agreed with prostitution. He told her, go and sin no more. You know, when he wrote, was writing in the sand and they were ready to stone her, he said, those who want to cast, those who are without sin, cast the first stone. And he didn't say, go on with your life. You live it, girl. Like you do it. He said, go and sin no more. It's a difficult line because yes, mm -hmm. we want no one to feel discriminated against, but some of the policies no. at a baseline feel discriminatory. Like I would argue that if we're talking about gay rights, if I... If we were to tell a whole group of people they can't get married based on, you know, Christian beliefs and Christian ideals, it becomes contentious. So I, I guess I want to get a read there. When mm -hmm. a law or a policy excludes a group from something they believe is that it's fair to them or something they should be able to do, are you aligned with that because of said policy? So like going to immigration, you said it should be done if it's right. And then going mm -hmm. to like gay marriage. Is it one of those things where you don't cast a stone, but you politely disagree? Yes. And I think I go back to, you know, one nation under God. And I don't want this conversation to be like Bible thumping. Yeah. Um, so I hope I do it respectfully, but that's, that's who I am. You know, that, that part of, and I know one of your questions later is, are you, know, talking about, do you believe it's important to talk about what you believe? I have family members that have chosen different lifestyles that are so different from what I believe in. Uh, does that mean that I don't invite them to Thanksgiving or Christmas or tell them they can't come? Absolutely not. And that's not how we're supposed to live. I think, though, that there needs to be a fine line. And so, yeah, I mean, I support the administration's stance on policies because they are conservative. And I do believe that they do serve the greater good. And I know people who are in those groups will literally throw up in their mouths when I say that. But this is my normal, you know, and that's why we're having this conversation is what I believe. But yes, I totally agree with you. There should never be, someone should never be harmed for what they believe in. Someone should never be discriminated for who they are, or their background, or the color of their skin. I know that you went to Anderson, which is a Christian mm -hmm. college. Yeah. And I'm really curious about how that shaped your beliefs. Were people at school in agreement? Did you have conversations like this? Like, can you tell me a little bit about what that was like? What's really interesting is... I know you know a little bit about my background. You know, I've yes. always gone to private schools. It's been pretty much the same demographic 
this same color of skin, this same, you know, family morals. My husband always says you were born in a bubble because you've only seen one side of something. And that's so true. And so when I went to college, and I'll, and I'll preface by saying this, I believe there were three black girls in my grade um, in high school. And so there was not diversity. If you were gay at school, you no one talked about it. I've known you know people to come out in the past five years that I went to high school with, and I was shocked. I was I would not, but I was like, <laughs> what? Like what? And when I went to Anderson, there's so much diversity. And I know people who go to Anderson be like, what? But for me, it, there was, and not everyone went there and had the same values that I did. You know, not everyone grew up the same way that I did. And my husband didn't even grow up in the church, you know? So there, there right there is something so different that sparked a lot of great conversation. And one of my first friends that I made at Anderson, he was gay and just so fun. And at one moment I asked him, you know, why would you choose Anderson? Right. You know, why? A Christian school. But I was so curious, like part of going to Anderson is you're going to chapel twice a week. You sign papers that you're not going to drink. You're not going to smoke. And I could say that for the partiers, you know, why would you come to Anderson? You're, you might stand out. You might be different. And he's like, I don't really care. And I loved that. And I think there were so many different conversations that did spark through that. I was able to be stronger in my faith, to realize what I believe is what I believe. Because a lot of times you hear the statistics that a lot of kids that grew up in private schools or like grew up in the church, they leave. Mm -hmm. I've had, a, I've known people that I've grown up with that have said, see ya. I've seen a lot of immoral injustices happening in the church. And that's kind of when we go back to no one is perfect. The church is not perfect. And if you're looking for a perfect place of worship, you might as well just die and go to heaven because you're not going to get it here on earth. And so I've seen a lot of people that I grew up with, they leave the church and a lot. And I think a lot of times it's because so many people only form their opinions based on what their parents believe. And I mean, I've had really great conversations with my parents questioning what they believe. And that's through college and meeting different people in different backgrounds. I mean, I remember my first job, like I was part of a book club and we read a biography of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I had, I had a family member that was just beside themselves that I would ever read that. It was through my experience at Anderson, which is a conservative Christian university, that I've been able to say, I know what I believe. And it also doesn't hurt to understand why others believe what they believe too. I know, I know college formed a lot of different opinions for me, strengthened a lot of my views, made me question some, but I worked through it. And I, like I said, there was a lot of diversity, maybe not to a lot of people who went there, but to me, I think it sparked me into the real world because we have a diversity inclusion board at work that I help with. And I've learned so much. So as you learn yeah. about people's experiences that are different from yours and you start to question your own a little bit, ever been in a moment where it's like, okay, like I've talked to this gay person, or I've talked to a person of color, and now I've almost absorbed some of their views or does it ever go beyond understanding? 1000%. I think if anything, it makes me more empathetic and compassionate to what others go through. Shelby, I will never understand what it means to be a person of color. 
but I can talk with you about what you're going through, what you see as injustice in this world, how that affects you, and then internalize how I can be a better friend to you. The same thing with um, a gay family member. I may not agree with your decisions, but that doesn't mean that, that I don't love you, that I don't want to understand what you're feeling. It's so stupid compared to bigger issues in life. I grew up in a white family, upper middle class, and you know everything was the same. I still had struggles that people, I felt like people didn't understand. One of those being body image. As a woman, that is so incredibly hard. And like I said, I want to preface, this is so minor to the issues that are in this world, but this is how I compare trying to understand people. I have dealt with body issues my entire life. I've done things to alter my body. I have not accepted it, that I'm not a size six. I've always struggled with weight. It's been a crutch that I've carried. My immediate family, they're all very fit. They're all petite slim. They could never say the right thing. They could try. They could ask me questions, but they could never say the right thing because they didn't understand. And so what they did allow is a platform for me to always share how I felt about what what I looked like. Or if I, if I was in a fitting room and something wasn't fitting and my, I knew my mom was out there, she allowed me the platform to, to share those feelings. And she would always say, I don't understand how you feel, but I will support you in whatever you want to do. And like I said, it's so minor, but it's how I compare. A size zero will never understand what it's like to be a size 14. And I will never understand what people go through, but that's why conversations are so important. And having that empathy, having that compassion, and trying to understand why this person feels this way. Because I think that's what we're lacking in this nation is a lot of conversation. This platform is important just because I want to hear norms from everyone and where they're coming Mm -hmm. from. And I think it's helpful to contextualize. But using the example of body image, going back to your mom and say your mom's standing outside of a fitting room. But if there was something your mom could do, if your mom could vote to no longer make body image a thing and she didn't, would the space to just have those conversations be enough. For me personally, I've had so many friends say like, I'm here to talk to you about being a person of color or being more specifically a black woman. I like to just say, cause it's mm-hmm. different for someone who's Asian or Latinx, et cetera. Like being a black woman is a very like, specific experience. If someone said to me, I'm here to talk to you and we can have all the conversations in the world. But if you got in a voting booth and, and voted against policies that protect me, I have a hard time finding that line, I would say this administration brought that out in me. We bro- mm-hmm. we both grew up in Dayton. I went to public school. It was not super diverse, more diverse than your school, just because it was bigger, but it wasn't yeah. super diverse. My views were not the norm. And I was able to table that because, you know, we weren't voting age. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's like what your parents said. It's what you thought it wasn't, we weren't in the world, mm-hmm. but now that they were in the world, it becomes hard sometimes if yeah. it could be voted away, like if your mom had the power to be like, you not only will I listen to you, Katie, I have the ability to make this no longer a problem for you or mm-hmm. vote toward progression toward those problems. Would the conversation be enough if she didn't do that? And would the conversation be enough if she did do that? Would I learn things and understand things? I don't know. I, I wish I could answer that. I believe that you need to have the tough conversations. I have conversations with people in the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. I work with individuals like that. I have those conversations, but that doesn't mean through those conversations that I still support gay marriage. And I know that that sounds so heartless, 
I can't understand what they go through. I've never been gay. I, do, I don't understand that. I can understand why they feel that these policies are, are killing them. But for me to vote for a candidate that doesn't have those conservative policies, that just wouldn't be true to myself. It can make me look bad and it can, people can listen to this and be like, like she's so whatever, but it's just, it is important to have those conversations. Right. It doesn't align with your beliefs at the end of the day. Like you can be empathetic, but at the end of the day, you could not vote against the core of what you truly believe. Yes. To give the listeners a little background, Katie and I have always known that we have completely different views. We met Mm -hmm. at church. And I think it's interesting because after the 2016 election, like we kind of had words, right? And like, so this conversation has even informed me a little bit because I think as we talk about it, I don't agree, but I'm starting to see, okay, this is where you're coming from. In sharing that story, how do you feel about sharing your views with people our age? Because when we spoke after the 2016 election, it was a kind and of I, a clash. I'm going to be honest, Shelby. I don't even remember this. Yeah. Conver- I really don't. So if you want to like also enlighten me, I'd like to know co- how that conversation went. I remember I was living in New York and I was working mm-hmm. at Condé Nast at the time. And it was a very like mm-hmm. weird time in New York. Everyone was scared. They didn't. I mean, I'm not going to say everyone. I'll say the people who I worked with and surrounded myself with were scared yeah. to not generalize. Right. And you were tweeting and not anything harsh. They weren't Trump tweets, but they were just like, in support of the administration. And I mm-hmm. remember having such a hard time because you and I have always kind of talked about career and like I majored mm-hmm. in PR, I interned in PR. You were in your journey of interning and in school at the mm-hmm. same time. So we kept in touch, we talked, but I couldn't ignore yeah. your tweets. I was like, these tweets are so unnerving. Like people here are shaking, including myself. I can't have mm-hmm. this man be president. What does that mean for my whole identity? You're, you are tweeting in favor. I right. said something yeah. and you were like, I think I probably am the one who got more upset, to be honest. You were kind of just asking me probing questions. Like, do you feel like you've experienced racism? Why Why are you against Trump? Like, what is the issue? And I, another thing, if we mm-hmm. go back to the tweets, is I remember you had some really harsh words for Obama. Like, where we're from, that is a norm. I mm-hmm. remember just being so triggered. I'm like, I feel like my life is in jeopardy. The life of people I love is in jeopardy. And I'm a Christian too, so there's that duality. I mean, we met at church. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the church. There's this duality on Black. It, mm-hmm. It's hard for me to lean only on those values. The conversation just got me like, how? Like, how could you do this? And then mm-hmm. you were kind of like, yo, these are my beliefs. Like, kind of like we're saying now in a more calm way. And it probably escalated because mm-hmm. I was triggered and I kind of freaked out. But you were basically saying what you're saying now. But I think we're just both more mature to have the conversation of like, no, mm-hmm. this is what I believe. Like, I still care about you. I still think you're a nice person. Yeah. And simply, I'm. That's what this is what I'm going to do. This is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yes, you've experienced racism. And no, you don't agree with my tweets. I could not understand. I hate to say I don't understand because I understand I just don't like it. It goes back to identity politics in some ways. Like we live in two different bodies. Like I can't, as a black woman, go forward with some of this stuff. Ultimately why I wanted to have this conversation because I cannot believe this is happening. Like I was just asked if anything racist has happened to me. But when you explain your background, being in somewhat of a bubble, it's like, okay, three black people went to my school. Like how am I supposed to have and maybe three people went there but they weren't my friends for one reason or another I mean I'm not saying you didn't pick them because they were black but like oh they were funny is I went to Salem with all three of them and they they all came to Troy Christian and so they and I'm still friends with them it just never was a conversation yeah and you hide it it. I mean to be frank to survive here you don't bring it up it's kind of almost the opposite of what you're saying there's a reason you've never talked about this so publicly because it's scary it's like people are going to Mm -hmm be upset at some of my views. I felt the same way growing up here. And perhaps that's how your black friends felt. 
it's not popular here in Dayton, Ohio, where neither of us live at this point, but growing up, it wasn't a thing (laughs) to say that. But I would, Mm -hmm. I knew better. Mm -hmm. That's probably why it's not a conversation because just like you feel now, I think the tables have turned a little bit. It doesn't feel comfortable. This is mildly inappropriate, but I never had a sex talk growing up. My mom and dad, they would, if I had a question, they'd answer it, but I never had a sex talk. And I asked my mom after I got married, why didn't we talk about this? She's like, because I know you never have it. (laughs) I'm like, okay, but that, that doesn't help. Like you have to you have to talk about things. And I probably ignorantly asked you that, but genuinely wanted to know. And to you, you'd be like, how would, what do you mean? Have I experienced racism? But to me that came, I can speak that came from a very genuine place. Like my mom, if you don't have it, how can't assume that? Like you still need to have that conversation. Most genuinely wanted to know because I had no idea. Which I mean, honestly, I believe, or I don't think we'd be having Mm -hmm. this conversation. Like, I don't think you were being facetious (laughs) at all. That's why I lost my mind. It wasn't just about you. And I was just like, (laughs) the reason I remember the conversation is because that was so wild to me. Have I experienced racism? Like, yes. (laughs) It's so interesting because we're all experiencing such different worlds. It becomes a bit of a trigger for people where it's like, I can't turn that off on and off. Like you can Mm -hmm. not be, you can pretend to be not conservative and Christian. I know you, you're not going to do that, but cannot turn off being black so I was like I can't believe this is happening yeah and where you probably were like this girl is so ignorant I'm over here like really what what have you gone through and that's my own fault but I mean if you're not if you're not around racism every day or if you're not around people of color you're not going to know what they go through right like you are essentially going to still live in that bubble knowing that you grew up in a bubble and hearing other experiences as you start to like think about what your family will look like in the future, like you're married now, mm-hmm. eventually you'll have children. Like, what do you think mm-hmm. that looks like for you? Do you want your kids to have less of a bubble or do you think you're going to curate a similar experience? That's such a great question. It's one that me and my husband have had a lot for the fact that my husband grew up in a really big public school. He was immersed into just about everything different versus me who was in that bubble. And so I've had to sit back and ask him questions about, you know, how he was brought up, his, his schooling experience, his college experience was even so different from mine. And so, you know, when I got married, I was like, automatically, my kids are going to private schools, right? Like, that's, that's just what I know. And my husband is a public school educator. And he went to a really big public school here in Indianapolis. He's like, no, like you are Miss Bubble. And so we've had those conversations of what do we want our kids to have and what does that look like we moved to a school district a public school district to where I felt comfortable public schools are so big over like 3,500 kids are in his high school and that just overwhelms me because I grew up with like 47 kids in my class we will raise them in the church but I want them to experience life in a way that they get to make their own decisions but that they don't become who they are because they go to church or they don't become who they are because, you know, they only have Christian friends. They come, they become who they are because they're in our house and we teach them the values that we live by. And we can only hope that they decide that they want that for themselves. Me and my brother, we're probably a very high statistic. Both children raised in private schools are very active in the church and are still believers our spouses are believers, and we all share very similar values. And that's really rare because my parents 
while they raise this in this bubble, they lay this foundation, like this is what we believe. And in our house, this is how you are going to live. But when you go out there, I don't answer for what you do. That's not a reflection on who we are as parents and how I want to lead our children. I mean, that's, I think that's a constant conversation of how we want to raise our children. Even though we were raised differently, me and my husband are really aligned. It is big and there are a lot of influences and there's a lot to learn, but I think it made me who I am. Like, you know, you can only speak for how you were raised, right? We didn't pick it, but I think it's very interesting to see what you'll pass to the next generation because in some ways being in a bubble, I would be curious to think like, did it serve you? What are positives about that? And what are things that you're like, oh, like I wish I would have known that because perhaps if you went to public school or you grew up in a larger spectrum, you probably wouldn't have genuinely be asking in 2016, have you experienced racism? You get both. Like there's Mm -hmm. a lot happening in a big public school, Mm -hmm. but there's also like Mm -hmm. a lot of people to expose yourself to. Growing up in private schools, there are some people that do not want to follow the curriculum and the race. And so you learn from that too. Has going to private schools helped me? I'd say it's shaped me who I am. Were we allowed to have those tough conversations? No. I remember I was watching Real World I said a transgender was on, and this is before class even started. We were talking about transgenders in math, and I got kicked out of class because I wasn't allowed to talk about it. And so I always kind of was that kid that asked a lot of questions, and it's not because I am nosy, but it's because I genuinely want to know. And so I think things like that, I can't push my beliefs on someone. My math teacher certainly shouldn't have pushed whatever he thought on me, it happened. I got kicked out of class. Did a, did living in, you know, the private school bubble service me the best? Maybe not. Um, maybe, you know, not being around a diverse group of people. Even though all my friends were predominantly white, there was diversity within us. Diversity, is, I don't believe, is just about color. It's about background, you know, how you grew up. So we all grew up kind of different. You know, some people had a lot of money, Some people were on scholarship going to school, you know, it was so different, but it wasn't like the diversity that I've experienced since being out of school. In adult life, you're in these spaces where you are working with a DNI team at your job and you are like getting Mm -hmm. these chances to have different conversations because I think Mm -hmm. it'll only help like each generation does better. You can keep your views and give your kids some of those antidotes from what you learned from being in these spaces. And having just like different types of friends or different types of conversation. Going back to a little bit, just like your core beliefs, do you think there's anything that you would change about conservatives politically? If we had to look at the Republican Party, is there something that you would change about it? I would say since starting in 2016, I didn't become so interested in politics. I think you just vote Republican because that's what your parents did. I've seen just a lot of just lazy conversations they're terrible. Republicans can be terrible communicators and they try to defend the individual when they should discuss true policy. So why do we believe in these policies instead of explaining or trying to defend an individual? I would hope that we would all want the same thing. We all want peace in America. Both parties go about it different ways. I think a lot of times there's just like a lot of loud communication that I've seen. That's what I would change. What does it mean for us to all have peace? I think we all have different definitions of peace. My peace looks different from your peace. And I don't feel like we can ever get true peace in America. Because we all have different views. We all have so many different views. We all have so many definitions of peace that maybe I think it's important to find what, what brings you peace individually and live by those. I think it kind of goes back to the first question of, you know, we don't vote for, I don't vote for an individual. I vote for policies. 
peace for me is the ability for everyone to live their lives and be safe, right? So it would bring me mm-hmm. peace if people who are black could just like walk around and not worry about getting shot. Or like if people who were gay weren't discriminated against, it mm-hmm. would bring me peace if people didn't have to consider that. There are a lot of considerations I have because of who I am and my family that like you may not have or another person may not have. Like you don't get to make decisions for people based on you thinking they're a good person with your lens. I wish in America you could just mm-hmm. be you. There's a lot of identity politics based on what people think that you should do and believe. And I wish that we just mm-hmm. had space for if you believe that, you cannot put that on other people, um, which is difficult because mm-hmm. we have a party system and that's a whole other discussion. But that mm-hmm. I, I would say is what peace looks like to me. Is there anything from the liberal side, be it a literal policy or just uh, conversations that are surrounding that you agree with? No, there is something that I sincerely wrestle with, that it's something that I continually work through as a conservative millennial woman and just conservative in general, I'm extremely pro-life. You know, my parents have been involved in organizations back in day in that support pro-life initiatives. You know, I do not support abortion. I know I have friends that have had abortions. That doesn't mean that I look at them differently. But it just, it just tears me to the core because I witnessed my niece being born in March and that changed our family for the better. I know your, your aunt, you know, had a baby a few years ago and you just, you feel this immense joy. And I, and I just wish that other people had that opportunity or like, didn't feel like abortion was their only choice. And so I am extremely pro-life. And with that comes my internal struggle with the death penalty. Both of us know that people do terrible, terrible things. I, my boss's husband was a correction officer at a federal prison. Uh, So you can imagine some of the stories that I've heard. And I believe that people can change. I've seen it. I've seen people and their heart change. I feel like God can get control of anyone, but I have a hard time contemplating. So is supporting the death penalty still pro-life? And that's a conversation that I don't think a lot of conservatives have. And I think that's a conversation that a lot of Christians don't have. So, you know, I have one brother. We are so polar opposite when it comes to personality. Our conversations are just like, you know, I'm very right brain. I'm so creative. You know, I've been in PR and communications. Like my job is to tell stories. That's through writing. That's through, you know, being creative. My brother is an attorney. He does employment law, right? And he works up in Cleveland at a big firm. And I think my brother is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. And he will be so mad because I know he's going to listen to this. Um, (laughs) And he's going to be so mad that I'm bragging on him. And my brother is also very, very, very conservative. I'm conservative. And I love having those conversations with people. That doesn't mean that I change my views, but I want to learn more to help me understand. I called him because I know that he is a part of the very few who support the death penalty. And having gone through law school, having gone through all that, he he supports the law and he supports the word of God. It, it's so interesting to me when I have a conversation with him because he thinks so like analytical and it's really brilliant. And so I wrote down what he said and I'd really like to share that because you know I struggle personally with what does pro-life mean? right? Because if you're pro-life, you support all life. My brother, when I was talking with him, he said, when when we say pro-life as Christians, we support life and protect life. And that also means protecting the life of the innocent and the victim. So the person that was raped, killed, 
we want justice for their lives. And, you know, as Christians, the life in the womb is completely innocent. And there really isn't a law that has been violated by a fetus. And on the other hand, there are individuals who violate and degrade life. And so for that, you know, God has given the authority to give the death penalty to the federal government to punish. But he pointed out, if there's no death penalty, then what is the ramifications for doing something horrible? The death penalty, you know, he said, is a great deterrent for people. Because if you have no fear, then you're going to do whatever you want. If people think that way, then more crime is going to arise. You know, he is of that small percentage that is pro-death penalty. That That's not even a question. And so for me to ask him that, it was interesting to hear part of being pro-life is supporting the person, the victim, and supporting an unborn child. And whereas a lot of people want to support the person that did the crime, and then here I am, like, people do bad things, and people change. Who are we to tell someone when their life is over? I just feel like that gives someone a lot of responsibility, and it makes me, like, it gives me some anxiety because I, I don't know. And I can sit stand here, sit here and say, I don't know how I fall in that category. But I thought it was really interesting from his extreme conservative view on what it means to be pro-life. And then where I kind of struggle with, well, what does that mean for me? Right. Like there are levels to it. Like you can be conservative, but it doesn't mean that you're like, yep, go ahead, kill them, death penalty. Like there can also within your own close family and friends be a spectrum where you can't mm-hmm agree to that you're like I'm not sure if that's 100% where I am so that's an interesting perspective on his point I called my mom after I talked with him and I just said this is what Brad said this is what I think no like wish that the people who did the horrible things could like rot in jail for the rest of their lives and like they they know like there is this is their punishment and then you know to another person's perspective some people want to go back to jail you know like they, they 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 find more freedom in being locked up than having they don't know how to live on the street they don't know how to have a life outside of jail so it's it's this whole concept that I'm just like that's a journey for me to find but I think that's something that I I'd say I struggle with that makes sense to me the death penalty is a hard one especially now as we're talking Mm -hmm. about people who are subjects of the death penalty and we all struggle with I mean I personally don't struggle I don't believe in it but I think there are people who are struggling about what that means, especially as you tie it to abortion. And pro-life, yeah. I have uh, two more questions for you and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. How do you feel about people okay. who are within your party who are Republicans, mm-hmm. but aren't Christian? Mm-hmm. So how are they justifying these beliefs? If we listen to this whole conversation, for you, it's, I'm a Christian, so this is why I believe these things. This is why these policies make mm-hmm. sense. It ladders mm-hmm. up to the word. It ladders up to my experiences and beliefs. If we go to people who aren't, I feel like there's a little divisiveness there, right? With people who aren't Christian, Mm -hmm. but are using these same ideals. Like, how do you feel about that? Those who are conservative and not Christian, because our leader isn't Christian. That's a good question. I think it kind of goes back to what I said in the very beginning. A lot of people want to make their own rules of good and bad, what's good and evil. Because we have good and evil in this world, it transitions into a moral law. And that transitions into a moral lawgiver. And so I think people believe in something. I don't know what they believe in, but there's something greater that they believe in that they're saying, this is right, this is wrong, and this is what I'm going to vote for. Do you think that finances play into that at all? Like, aside from the beliefs we said in a policy way, like, do you think there's a part of you that's also just like fiscally conservative? Although that has nothing to do with Christianity. Like, do you think it's part of, because I hear a lot of that of like, 
I'm fiscally conservative and that's why this makes the most sense for me. It's a money thing. Yeah, I bet people vote for many different reasons. You know, I think, you know, I answer for the decisions that I make and what I say and what I do. And I can't really answer for anyone else. Sure. So as an individual, do you think that money plays into it at all? Although you shared all your beliefs, but in any way, are there any financial ties to that for you? For me? No. Something that gets thrown around Mm -hmm. a lot, not by you individually, Mm -hmm. but just I hear a lot of that's what's best for my taxes. That's what's best for my finances. So I'm always curious to hear. No, I, I don't think money plays any issue into what I vote for. I mean, of course, at the end of the day, you know, you think about it, but it's like, what's what's the state is the state's and what's mine is mine. You know, it's like, I think money is the root of all evil. Money makes people do really crazy things. And that's why I go back to the value of being being a servant and living palms up. And what does that mean? And, you know, what I owe is what I owe in my taxes. And then for some people, I, I know in my family, I can't speak for them, but I can assume that they might vote on money too. For my last question, I'd love to know, what do you feel like are the biggest misconceptions of you as a millennial Christian conservative woman? That I'm racist, that I'm a bigot, that I hate everyone who doesn't think like me. I'm a Bible thumper. I just want everyone to follow my lead. I think those are the biggest things. And I hate that because that's not true. I hope through this conversation that you see, I am who I am. And I want to learn more. And if I didn't care about you or about, you know, what you were searching for, I would certainly would never agree to this. But I think conversations are so powerful. And so when you come out and you and you say, I'm conservative, those are the automatic things that people are going to say to you. I'm not a bigot. I'm not racist. I vote for policies that a lot of people might not agree with, but that doesn't mean that I want people to be harmed or that I want people to be discriminated against. I would say my dad always says he's a conservative independent. And so I kind of like to say that, like I'm a conservative independent, but my very best friend, I mean, my ride or die, if she needed anything any other day, I would be there. Or if she, I take a bullet for her, I would probably die for her. And she is so far left. I've never met anyone like her in my life. Me and my husband always talk about, he's like, you both are so polar opposite. I mean, it's like literally with everything. Like it's how we want to raise kids, who we're married to, our backgrounds, what we believe. It's so different. I have family members who have lifestyles that are so different from me. And so people would say, well, do you like you must judge them or like you and that's just not true. I think what's wrong with our world is that we've stopped listening and just stopped learning. And so you I, because you're liberal, I'm going to assume these things about you that aren't true. And because I'm conservative, people are going to assume things about me. But I have a heart at the end of the day, like I'm not a stone cold witch that wants, you know, people to suffer. I want people to prosper. I want people to feel loved and that they belong. And I hate that because of the policies and values that I have, people feel like I don't. And I can't explain that. I'm not a bad person. A lot of my friends are liberal. I want people to realize like I'm a person too and that I care about people. And just because I vote for something that doesn't align with their lifestyle or what they believe, that that doesn't mean that I don't respect them or love them. I have to stay true to who I am. I would never tell anyone who to vote for or what they believe. Do I want everyone to experience the love of Christ and that joy? 100%. But that doesn't mean that I'm 
handing out Bibles and on the corner of the street and like, you know, condemning everyone to hell. It's because I've gone through some really hard things in life. And it's because I had that hope that I've gotten through that. So I would never tell my gay family member that I want them to vote for Trump because that's, that's what I am doing. But I don't want them to think that because I vote for Trump that I don't love them or want the best for them. Do you understand that for some people that's a deal breaker? People vote mm-hmm. against your rights. It's, ho- it's hard to sit in that space. It's kind of like what we were saying in mm-hmm. the body image conversations. It's a sentiment that is appreciated. And I, I know you're not an evil person. I know you're not a racist person or like, again, <laughs> we wouldn't be engaging. But I think you have <laughs> to understand why for some people it's going to be a no. The government is to serve everyone. I think America is very mm-hmm. individualistic and the government is not for what is best for just me. The policies I vote for, it's what I perceive to make everyone feel free or make more people mm-hmm. feel free. Because if gay people mm-hmm. can get married, you still get to be you. Like if gay people get to be married, you can still go to church. You can still marry your husband. You can still buy a house. Like you get to do whatever you want. And then there is a group of people Mm -hmm. who do not. Where we fall with this is like, I think Mm -hmm. you have to see why they might not be able to love you back. Because it's like you get everything you want. The things that keep your life safe, the big things you want, you can get. No one told you you couldn't get married. The lives of people I care about are in danger. My life is in Mm -hmm. danger. There's an opportunity there. And that doesn't mean you change your vote. Yeah, no, I'm not naive to know that people will hear me say that and and think, bull. I base my life on what the word of God says. That also, it also says not to lie. And it also says not to murder and to honor your mother and father. And when you're not in line with that, you are sinning. So I'm not saying homosexuality is a bigger sin than honoring your parents because both are equal. I'm not saying one or the other, but I try to live my life to where I am glorifying God with all my decisions. And so what is in the word is what I try to live by. That is how I live. Just as just as someone, you know, that is Jewish reads the Torah or, uh, and that's how they live. And, and I can only live by what I believe, but that doesn't mean that I can hate someone for what they choose for their life because we're all sinners. No sin is worse. I sin every day constantly on my knees lord forgive me teach me a new path like help me live righteously i know people probably my family members like whatever like you say you're christian but you're not what you're what you're voting for does not does not love me i get that and i don't think sometimes we have the right words to say thank you katie this was awesome it was amazing to get to spend this time with you and hear more about your views and thank you for being vulnerable enough to share because i know that was hard Yeah, a little bit. Thanks so much for having me. I hope it provides some insight just into who I am, my heart, what that looks like. And and I don't speak for all conservatives, and I certainly don't speak for all Christians. I heard this quote the other day, and I wrote it down. It says, Christians may be divided over certain matters, which is why the Lord gave Christian freedom to vote for their conscience. I can only speak through my conscience and what feels right and moral and just to me. And so I hope that was portrayed. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I would also love your feedback. If you enjoyed the episode or have a comment for me, please leave me a review on the Apple Podcast app. See you next week.